Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And so he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. And the manager said to himself, What should I do? Since my master is taking management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to them, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the unrighteous manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and ridiculed him. He said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Our readings have been very difficult reading, or recently, and so I wanted to take a moment to uh, teach you about what is called the lectionary and what that does for our church before moving on to preach to you the gospel reading. So these texts that we read each week are not chosen by yours truly. They're the result of what's called the lectionary, or the three-year lectionary. It was designed in the 1960s by literally every Christian church body in the world coming together to agree upon a weekly reading schedule. The Roman Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, the, um, the Baptist Church, they all came together and agreed upon these readings. Why? So that 
because there's something called the ecumenical movement, okay? Which means all of the church bodies trying to come together to be more like one another. And so what this did was um, they had the goal of reading through as all Christians across the world and familiarizing everybody in those pews each week. Unless you're Eastern Orthodox, then you don't have pews. Right? So it's just a joke. Um, sorry. The, the goal was to familiarize all Christian people with the same uninterrupted sequential reading of God's word, the scriptures. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and so on. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, and so on. And they're all grouped together in themes. It's really, really a good thing to increase the biblical literacy of all Christian people. What this means is we're not skipping over anything in the scriptures. And that means that we are exposed to the difficult passages as well as the comforting passages. We're exposed to who God really says that he is to us in his revealed will. And he's not who we've heard about him being or who we make him out to be ourselves. And so before I move on to the gospel reading, I just want to very simply explain what the first Timothy chapter two reading means. It was written to a young pastor from an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was this young pastor named Timothy that he was writing to. And it was his first call at a new church. And this apostle of Jesus Christ wanted his church to go swimmingly. And so he gives the pastor Timothy very frank instructions on what a public worship service should look like in a Christian church, lest you stop being a Christian church and be something else. And so this apostle gives as divine revelation, as well as gives the evidence of the Genesis accounts, which all Hebrews would be very familiar with, and all God-fearing Gentiles would have studied, that in a Christian worship service, in a public Christian worship service, faithful men ought to be the spiritual leadership of the household and the church. They ought to lead the public worship service, do the readings, serve communion, etc. And he wants to remind us that this leadership is nothing else other than the humble service that one is giving to their church, their home, and their community. It is not lording it over anyone. Why is it not lording it over anyone? Because this is what Jesus does for us, his bride, the church. God says that this is a masculine role and it is a masculine duty based first in the ministry of the perfect man, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who became our servant, even though he was God of all things, he became our servant and humbled himself even to the point of dying on the cross for us. Why? He chose to out of love because we are his bride. He died for us, and that is unconditional love, and that is servant leadership. And so this relationship between Jesus Christ and his church is the model for relationships between all men and all women. 
And flowing out of Jesus' role comes the, the public office of the pastor or preacher and teacher, and then the volunteering of faithful men in the congregation who have been trained by pastor. And what God says is that this will result in the thriving and faithfulness of that congregation. But I do want to remind you that sometimes in church history, sometimes it's during war, sometimes it's during persecution, whether it be in the USSR or it be all the way back when the church started. And in true emergencies, women have needed to step into these roles, and I thank them on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ for keeping God's word read and taught in his church. But please know, as a humble warning, that continuing to do these things when it is not an emergency It alienates biblical Christians that desire biblical worship because it does not follow God's divine plan for men, women, and public worship. Why? Because the Lord tells us that all things should be done decently and in good order in 1 Corinthians 14 when he addresses this issue, and that God is not a God of confusion but of peace, as in all the churches of our saints, which follows in verse 33. And that's simply what this means. And please, if you have any questions, I am willing at any time to talk to you, even if it's on the phone. I prefer that over email. Um, And, of course, my office is always open. So please, I invite you to come and talk with me. Now, because this reading was difficult... But I think the gospel reading was even more difficult. I wanted to make sure that when I preach to you today, you receive the soothing peace that Jesus gives us through this awesome parable. It's called the parable of the dishonest manager or the unrighteous steward. Unrighteous can be translated either as dishonest or unrighteous. Manager can be translated as either manager or steward. And it makes the story mean completely different things every time you change it. And so let's just go through it in its simplest sense. Because this very difficult, confusing parable, I believe, is dripping with God's mercy. I begin and ask, how shrewd are you? Do you ever describe people that you love or respect as shrewd? Anybody? Do you ever use the word shrewd? No, I I never use the word shrewd. I'm trying to more. All I knew with shrewd was that there's a Shakespeare play called The Taming of the Shrew. And I thought maybe that's what it was referring to. And so I kind of just steered clear of the word shrewd. But then as I studied the New Testament, I realized that the word shrewd was being used over and over again. And so I was like, I need to just pony up and find out what shrewd means. It's a harsh sounding word, um, and, but it means to be wise. To be shrewd is to be wise. But not in a book way, not in a studying way, but practical wisdom, street smarts, you might call it from experience, combined 
with godly wisdom from his word. Jesus, in fact, tells us to be innocent as doves and shrewd as serpents. Very confusing. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount all points to over three chapters. Jesus, you know, just very long-windedly, all brings to a point and perfectly to a culminating teaching that people that listen to God's word ought to be shrewd or to judge our religious teachers on whether they're preaching God's word or not. He says, be shrewd. Watch your religious teachers. Are they built on the foundation of God's word? Or are they built on the foundation of their opinion or what's popular at the time? In that case, you'll watch their lives and it will sink into quicksand. But be careful, lest you be drawn into that quicksand as well. To be shrewd is to boldly act in faith on the promises of God found in his word. And so whatever your roles in life are, please be practically wise for the benefit of other people. Like the manager did. I'm going to call him the manager from now on. And the manager is not the boss. I'll call the boss the master. Just so on the front of your bulletin, the guy wearing the tie is the master. And the guy that's hoveling at his feet is the manager. I also ask you, how well do you know your master? Is your master someone that you speak well of? Is he someone you trust? Do you know that he or she would stand up for you if you were in a pinch or something was confusing in your work or wherever you might volunteer or spend your time? Is, Is he or she harsh or unforgiving? What's so interesting is the manager today, in our story, he acts in faith. Why? Because he knows that his master is gracious and compassionate, he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. Which begins to hint at who the master is in this story. In the beginning of the story, the manager is yelled at by his master, Why? Because the manager was not keeping the books truthfully. He was cooking the books. He was sinning. And that's why he's the unrighteous manager. Because he was doing his job dishonestly. What he does later will not be regarded as sinful by our Lord. Which is why he tells us to be like him. And so therefore... When the master brings him into his office, though we all like to, I don't know if you've ever seen The Chosen or something, you picture like a rustic table and like dust everywhere and there's like stone walls, but there might not be a roof and it's like open air. And so you imagine him like sitting behind this table and he's like, why are you cooking the books? Paper's expensive. We don't have, you know, you know, manufacturing any year yet. So anyways, so. He's brought into his, his master's office, and the manager goes, yes, I understand, I was cooking the books. And the master says, well, you're fired. 
I can't have a guy cooking the books that's in my employment. You're a manager. You're not just even a worker. You're a manager. And so the manager knows judgment is coming from his master. And so he acts accordingly. He's going to be fired. He's going to be without work or an income. There is no link card. There is no social safety net. There is no um, backup plan. He's probably alienated his family as well from being, uh, you know, the kind of person who would cook books. In a similar way, you and I, we face the fullness of God's law because it's his will for our lives. No matter what we try to think or do or say or listen to instead of God's word, it's still true. And so what God says is right or wrong, it remains true no matter what we try to replace it with. And we know that then judgment is coming and there's no way in a million years that we can stand up to what God requires of us in that law or revealed will of his because we are sinners. We are unrighteous like the manager. And so what we'll begin to see is God is not looking for us to perfectly keep his will. He knows that we'll fail, but he is looking for us to come clean with him, to admit that we are sinners and to strive to do better And that is called being repentant or having a contrite heart or being struck with the law of God. And so we act accordingly because we know we have to stand alone between not only our Savior, but our judge, Jesus Christ, on the last day. And so this unrighteous manager us, the unrighteous sinner, we then begin to show mercy, knowing that the clock is ticking, whether Jesus will come back or we ourselves will die before we're able to come clean before God. And so the clock keeps ticking. The manager runs around and tells clients, no, your bill is half what you expected. No, your bill is 80% of what you expected. You and I run around being generous. We love other people. We share the gospel. We give to our church. We give to the needy, the migrant. We serve other people. And why? Partially, right? Out of our own selfishness. I'll be the first to admit it. We like when our neighbor appreciates what we do for them. And we like even more so other people watching us be kind and merciful to people that are low down. It's just a reality. And maybe that's okay at first. In fact, the the master applauds the manager for coming up with this shrewd plan. And he he applauds us for serving those around us. But Jesus does interrupt us and says to each and every one of us, what does he say at the end? He says, you like to justify yourselves before men, but God sees your hearts. 
No matter what we do, whether we do it for church, whether we do it at a volunteer organization, whether it's just something simple at home. You know, I put the dishes in the dishwasher. Didn't you see what I did? Right? Jesus sees our hearts. He knows we like to justify ourselves before others. And so he wants to instead give us peace. The peace that the world can't give. And so we have this unintended result, what Jesus is getting at, of living a generous life. A generous life towards one's church, the poor, your community, your neighbor, is that it is a witness to our neighbors that our master Jesus Christ is extravagantly gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So how does this bizarre parable show us this? Because the manager reduced those prices, reduced the debts, out of complete and utter faith that his master would pay them. And that he would pay them, make up that difference out of his abundant mercy. When we share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are sharing that good news of the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of debts. Maybe you might have been raised saying for the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive the debts of others. Jesus, um, so we share that message of forgiveness of sins out of the sheer joy of our complete trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That yes, He will forgive our neighbor of his sins, just like he's forgiven us. He will cash that check that we wrote and forged his signature, you might even say. Essentially, we bank, we bank on the graciousness of Christ. We assume Jesus will forgive others of their sins because he has forgiven us of our sins. We know and have complete faith that he is gracious, forgiving, and compassionate. He will pay that debt out of the joy set before him. The joy which helped him endure the cross. When he scorned its shame and died as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And so we simply cling to three major promises from Jesus today. We have been given just a little bit to watch over. To be faithful to Jesus with. It might be a little bit of money. It might be some kids. It might be some property. It might be um, cultivated skills that you've been developing over your life. It may be your youth. It may be the responsibilities you share as a grandparent or at whatever work or volunteer organization you're part of. But faithfulness in that little bit shows greater faithfulness, the greater faithfulness of Jesus Christ's love and commitment to us. Because he died on the cross for our sins, despite our stubbornness. Also, even though our good works do nothing to earn our salvation, we all know that. 
Jesus tells us that they will be thanked. They will be rewarded in heaven, both by Christ himself and by all those that you've helped. Perhaps for lending your money, time, and talents to those who can never pay you back in this life will bring you eternal reward from Christ, which is why he instructs us to store up treasure in heaven and not on earth where moth and dust destroy. Also, know that one of my favorite quotes is from a, a, um, an Eastern Orthodox monk that lived in Hermitage on Mount Shasta in the 70s. Quite interesting man. Whenever hippies would go and visit and stay with him, he would always tell them, be careful, it's later than you think. Very ominous, very creepy. Also very joyful if you have faith in Christ. What he was trying to say was that judgment day, Jesus will return quicker than you think. And you don't know when. He's going to come like a thief in the night. And so you should stay awake and watch. Be attentive. Be dressed. Be ready. Have your lamp burning. Have the lights on. Wait for the knock on the door. This could also be, you know, in terms of it's later than you think. It could be your own death coming quicker than you had expected. And so, you be a wise steward of your finances and all that God has given you each and every day. As the Boy Scouts say, be prepared. Think about it. Pray about it. How can you best use what God has given you in this life right now to benefit your neighbor, your church, and your community? You can't take it with you. There is never a U-Haul that follows a hearse, and they're never hitched. But while there is still time, serve your neighbor, church, your community, in unique and self-giving ways, depending on your situation, just like Jesus did and continues to do in your life. And above all, bank on the mercy and forgiveness of your loving God by being merciful and forgiving to others. They will thank you in heaven.